but it's curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Human. Welcome to the 30th episode of this show, in which I have a very special guest, Kelly Wilde, who is right here with me playing the handpan you heard in the intro. Uh, and we're here in this Balinese wood cabin. Kelly is an artist, a podcaster, performer, soulful poet, and mentor who's been exploring the intersections of soul explorations, creative work, and rewilding. She also happens to be my wife, and this episode fell on our 18-month anniversary. It's a particularly juicy conversation, and probably the most personal one that I've aired to date. She reflects on the last couple of decades of her life, from existential reckonings, identity crises, multiple career paths, and some rock-bottom moments and how these challenges have given way to a deeper clarity, knowing herself more intimately, and beginning the process of what she describes as rewilding the feral aspects of her psyche. This then led into the story of our experience at a 10-day meditation retreat that we attended in Mexico last year, and how reflecting on death led us to getting married a mere two weeks later. We also talk about our reflections on the value we found from working with a couples therapist early on in our marriage and how being aware of what she calls the skeleton woman archetype has helped us to navigate some rocky moments along the way in our partnership. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we did recording it. And if you're intrigued to learn more about what Kelly's up to in the world, the links to her website, soulofkelly.com her upcoming course on soulful personal branding and her new podcast wild on purpose are all in the show notes okay without further ado please enjoy this intimate conversation with the love of my life kelly wild welcome to the curious humans podcast my dear kelly wild thank you so much johnny it's a pleasure to be here how are you feeling in three words. Mm. Excited. Curious. And I'm not just saying that. (laughs) (sighs) And reverence. I'm feeling reverenced. Mm. Nice. (laughs) In a a state of reverence. In a state of reverence. Beautiful. Yes. Okay, well, as you maybe guessed, I'd like to start with a question that most of these conversations begin with which is were you exceptionally curious as a child and if so does any story come to mind that you'd like to share I want to say yes because I think all children are inherently curious although my memories are just a little bit foggy that said I know that I had some interesting interests over the years I loved bugs. I loved playing outside with my bug catcher. I liked to make unique contraptions by blending different objects together. For instance, we had a steep hill in one of my neighborhoods. So I took two of my brother's skateboards and I put a lawn chair on top of it. And somehow there was also a a cooler and a bunch of bungee cords. 
and the goal was to sit in the chair and skateboard down the hill. I don't remember actually doing it, but I remember trying to put it all together. Yeah, and we would crawl up around our neighboring hills. There was tree forts, and I used to get lost. We had these big bushes with these beautiful flowers and lots of bees and butterflies, and I would just get lost in those. So, Mm. yeah, actually, upon further reflection, I think I was quite curious, especially about the natural world. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And were there any stories that particularly resonated with you when you were growing up? Any books or any anything that comes to mind? Definitely. So there were a few stories, both in movies and in books, that I loved. In movies, I really loved uh, the storyline of Matilda. Hmm. I think I watched Matilda on repeat over and over again. I did I actually. <laughs> yes. I always wanted to be able to make pancakes fly in the air. And then for books... I know I my mom read to me a lot. I know I read a lot. I'm blanking on what all of them were, but I know Roald Dahl and his different poetry. Mm-hmm. Specifically, there's one poem called Hector the Collector, which I was able to recite for many years. Hmm. I wish I could do that now. <laughs> and when I turned nine, Harry Potter came out, and that became basically a 10-year obsession. <laughs> was there anything about the, the storyline of Harry Potter that kind of resonated with you in particular, do you think? Yes, and it's interesting because I've had some experiences lately that have brought me back into my Harry Potter world. Mm. And I think it was just this idea that there was something more out there. Mm. There was this other realm full of magic and crazy events and just something guess a deeper richer existence full of adventure all Mm. the time (laughs) something beyond like the muggle world that our parents showed us was like yeah i think around nine you know is when you're starting to get a dose of the muggle world a little bit more Mm. your childhood whimsical mind is starting to get turned into some type of systematic linear thinking you've been in school for a few years homework Mm -hmm. rules schedules Mm -hmm. And it was the perfect time, Hmm. I think, in my development for a a series like that to come out to also Hmm. anchor me in the imaginal realm Hmm. for a little bit longer. Yeah. And I I don't think it ever fully left me. So I'm very (laughs) grateful, actually, to J.K. Rowling. Nice. It'd be fun to reread that series at some point. I am rereading it right now. Great. I'm halfway through the Sorcerer's Stone again. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what what were the years... That followed like for you what did you what did you study at college and maybe what were some formative experiences either in school or shortly after graduating that you think might have shaped who you are today it's a really weighty question and I feel like it going back a little bit before graduating high school mm. would be important mm. since my high school years were really formative and mm. how I pursued studies um, you know that I went to a performing and fine arts school, Natomas Charter School Performing and Fine Arts Academy in Sacramento, California. And I was there from seventh to 12th grade, so 11 years old to 18. And it was a performing arts charter school. So you picked a major to go in and I danced since I was three. So I was there essentially as a dance, quote unquote, major, which meant half of my studies were dedicated to dance and half of it was studied 
uh, dedicated to educational studies. So I grew up really committing myself to the path of dance and performing arts. And there was a large part of me that thought I would continue on and do that. And one of my earlier childhood dreams was to open my own tap dancing studio. Mm. That was my first form of dance that I started when I was three. And then as I got older, the, the visions, those ideas started to kind of crumble away and turn into other things. When I was 15, 16, I discovered my love for the digital arts. I took 2D and 3D animation classes and really loved being able to turn pixels into dancing objects on a screen and thought I was going to go to school in San Francisco uh, for 3D animation. And I had sites set on working for Pixar or DreamWorks someday. And I went through, you know, 10th and 11th grade with that as my as my new dream was to go to school and yeah and kind of join the very early exciting new realm of cgi and what was happening in the computer realm mm. you know we had some of the first macbooks at my school and it was very exciting <laughs> uh, but then when it came down to actually applying to schools my path changed abruptly when i learned that there was going to be no financial assistance from my family mm. and there was no college fund set up. And I was essentially asked to not even apply to four-year four universities mm. and to just join a junior college, work part-time and gradually get a, a degree, but not have school be the primary focus. Mm. And so, yeah, my, my whole world actually turned upside down because I had committed myself so dedicatedly to being a straight A student and getting top grades. And mm -hmm. the college path was kind of the only idea on my map at the time. I didn't know of anyone else doing anything other than that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of other ways that you can pursue post high school years, which I learned later. Um, so yeah, when I was 19, I went to just a junior college, one of the largest junior colleges in America, in Sacramento, California. And I just studied kind of whatever. In a way, I lost my path. I lost a sense of direction. Mm -hmm. And it was that loss of, loss of direction by not going to university that actually shaped the majority of my entire adult life. Mm. Mm. Wow. I thought it'd be interesting for us to use the lens of what David White calls the three marriages, which is um, a book that we're both in love with um, and he talks about the self work and relationship and how we're invited to hold a conversation with each as we explore uh, our life and our story how does that sound sounds great <laughs> okay um so let's maybe start with your conversation with self and something that i've always admired about you is this relentless commitment to seek out your own shadows and find your edges, whether it's through meditation retreats or the more recent vision quest or, or hosting nudity workshops. There's, there's this sense of um, just wanting to know yourself that is, uh, I really respect. Um, so first you have a sense of what might be driving you in this path of, of self-inquiry. Um, Cause there are lots of other people who would, you know, enjoy coasting and enjoy just being comfortable in life what do you think there's something like fueling you 
Hmm. So I think this actually kind of goes back to that pivotal moment after high school hmm. when the idea of university was no longer an option. And at that point, life sort of became this blank slate. And I did get on autopilot for a brief period of time for maybe about a year, year and a half, where I just worked as a waitress and went to community college, dated a guy 10 years older than me, was drinking, smoking pot, not really doing much at all with myself. And at a certain point, I saw the way my life was headed, mm. early marriage, probably children at a young age, mortgage, maybe a two-year degree, maybe a career that would feel fulfilling, but probably just a career that would pay the bills. Mm. And a voice inside of me grew louder and louder. And it was just this knowing of this isn't it. Mm. This isn't it. And I don't know what it is, but you're going to go and find it. And so in a matter of months, I quit my jobs, ended my partnership, and I packed up everything in my little Nissan Sentra, drove across the country and moved to work at Walt Disney World <laughs> for <laughs> a college internship. And it introduced me to, you know, 7,000 other college age students from different uh, backgrounds mm. from all over the world. And I think it was that experience that just showed me, you know, one on one hand being at Disney, which is the land of imagination, and two, being around so many different cultures and ethnicities and working in the hospitality industry that just really introduced me to the idea that there are many ways that life could go. Mm. And I think something about that road trip gave me this early explorer and adventurer mindset. Mm. And that really started to unfold in the years afterward when I eventually moved to Colorado and mm -hmm. learned that I loved the outdoors and ac action sports and all of these different things. Mm. But, yeah, and with my story, there's lots of twists and turns. I've lived in many different places. You know, to go back to one of your initial questions, I, I went to seven colleges, ultimately. I eventually did get a degree in <laughs> global business management, international business, and you know, four or five certifications since then. So mm. just this insatiable desire for information, for new experiences. Mm. And at first I thought it was a quest to, to find my thing. Mm. And every time I would go down a certain path and I'd get a, a little bit down the way, I'd eventually say, eh, this isn't it. And so I'd jump into another lane. Mm. And I did that over and over and over again. And since nothing was really fulfilling me on a deeper level, I did have this identity crisis of where do I belong and what am I supposed to do? And only now, you know, 13 years since graduating high school, do I finally have the awareness to just say, like, I'm an explorer of all of life's offerings. Mm. And my soul is here to truly experiment and taste a lot of different things. And... I, I consider one of my gifts versatility. And in order to truly be versatile, you must experience a lot of things. So I'm just, mm. I'm someone who needs to say yes to new opportunities, new excitements, to follow the threads of what is alive in the moment. And I've learned to bring some structure to that mm -hmm. so that it actually does move my life in a more productive direction versus yep. just wandering aimlessly. Uh -huh. But the skill set of listening to that voice that is craving 
something beyond coasting mm. or monotony mm. has become my ally. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. And it, it makes me think of when I first, when I was graduating university, I saw a lot of my friends going into these jobs in the city and had a similar moment of like seeing 10 years down the line and just being terrified by following that path mm -hmm. and almost wanting to do everything in my power to go headlong in the opposite direction, even though I didn't know mm -hmm. what that direction was. Um, I really resonate with that because there was plenty of jobs that I would have where I could look up the management chain and see, you know, who was middle management, who mm -hmm. was upper management. Mm -hmm. And even if I was ground floor employee and it could have been lucrative and lots of perks or mm -hmm. whatever golden handcuffs would come with the experience of going up the chain, yeah. I could put myself in their life and I would oftentimes view their whole life holistically and say, how's their marriage? How's their health? How are their friendships? Mm -hmm. Do they have any sort of balance with their passions and their hobbies? Mm -hmm. And most of every, probably every single time I would look up and just say like, hard no <laughs> i don't want their life so so why yeah. continue yeah, yeah, so i would do I the job that. to gather the skill sets and yeah. once i once i kind of hit a plateau in what my position could do or what it could offer me mm -hmm. i would typically leave mm -hmm. it wouldn't be well let me go to another position and learn other things because i mm -hmm. had a tendency to learn multiple positions just by being in one mm -hmm. just by being in the proximity of other people doing their jobs mm -hmm. so I was not a popular employee by having that. And I, my resume became a mess. And, you know, at this point, I proudly believe I'm unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> and that's great. Yeah. And, yeah. And was there a time or do you think there was a point where that seeking in the external world, whether it was for the perfect job or the perfect vocation, do you think that seeking turned inwards at some point and the the almost sense of adventure and the sense of questing, you started looking inside. Or do you think that was always there to some degree? No, there was definitely a phase where the outer adventure turned into the inner adventure. And it's interesting because there was a point where I almost launched a newsletter called The Inner Compass. Mm. And that was maybe around 2018. But I think it really started around, yeah, 20. 2016, 2017, mm -hmm. after I'd graduated college. It took me until I was 23 to graduate college. And afterward, I worked a string of different jobs, tried my hand at launching my own subscription box startup, which failed. And once that failed, it was my first real attempt to do anything on my own. Uh, and, I th and I had all this ego because I had just won a series of business plan competitions in college and won $65,000 and had all these eyes on me. They were looking at me to be the next big entrepreneur that emerged from my university. And it was something they really prided themselves in. And so I felt this immense amount of pressure to, to be something. Mm -hmm. And when I failed at that and I had, I was in debt and I just had like the creative ideas had stopped um, and my willpower just was done. And I really hit a rock bottom and entered into mm -hmm. What, what I now understand was a, a dark night of the soul and a couple years of on and off again depression. And it forced me to, over time, look inward. Mm. I didn't know that's what I was doing. But in the beginning, yeah, when the, when the outside world isn't offering you answers, I think the only thing you have left to do mm -hmm. is to sit with yourself <laughs> at night before bed while it's dark, musing over the way your life has gone so far. Yeah. And 
um, it begins the inner adventure. Mm. Mm. Well, that feels like a nice segue to the 10 day silent meditation retreat mm. um, <clears throat> that we both attended in Oaxaca, Mexico last December. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you think back, what were some of the questions that were alive for you when you went into this retreat? And what was the experience of meditating every day for so many hours like? And, and what emerged during the course of, of those 10 days for you? Mm. Yeah, I think there was just a, a curiosity of what the experience was going to be like. Obviously, you had done a 10-day silent before mm-hmm. of Vipassana. And a lot of people that I have looked at over the last few years and respect in their inner journeys have all done something similar. Mm-hmm. So, and I had signed up for a Vipassana a few years prior but then through several circumstances, I wasn't able to attend. So it was on my radar to do one. And no particular questions aside from, can I do this without right. having a dedicated yeah. meditation practice? Yeah, that's can I sit here for this many hours throughout the day and just be with myself? In silence, 10 days. What will happen? Yeah. Um, those were kind of the big ones. Can I do this <laughs> and what will happen? And... <clears throat> Yeah, there was some, there was a lot of nerves, I think, going into it, a lot of nervousness, partially because you and I and our partnership had just gone through a a little bit of a rift right before. And Mm -hmm. there was a question of whether or not we were even going to stay together. Mm -hmm. You know, this was November of 2020. So we are in the heat of the pandemic. Mm. We were living in Mexico, which neither of us really found our thriving pace and our, our, our people and community routine Mm -hmm. and so it was a bit of a help me get help me with clarity Mm. help me know what to do Mm. because I'm about to pull the eject button on the life that I'm currently living and I if I do I don't know what I'm going toward Mm. do do I stay and if I do what is that going to ask of me and what do I need to ask of the circumstances and please help me find the the Mm. strength and the clarity to know what's next yeah i mean wow those are those are some big questions (laughs) (laughs) and um what what emerged for you towards the end of the obviously i know some of this but i think it's (laughs) it's valuable to share of course yeah so i mean firstly just sitting in meditation for six-ish hours a day and granted from what I know about Vipassana it's not nearly as difficult as Vipassana at the style at this retreat center but I had some really powerful meditation experiences one day I felt like I merged with all of consciousness and I became the ocean Mm -hmm. and I connected with the consciousness of the trees and the plants and it was really wonderful and then all these other days I was having just a lot of physical energetic um, discomfort, feeling tension, chronic tension in my body. I became hyper aware of the way my nervous system clutches on in certain ways Mm. and feeling like my head became this helium balloon and I was lifting from my chair and just really getting disoriented at times. Mm. But then also experiencing these teachings from Ridaya and different spiritual traditions with poetry being read. And, you know, I was kind of lost because I'm new to this quote-unquote spiritual path and I've never followed a particular discipline at the time I I really didn't know much about Rumi and 
Kashmir Shaivist tradition or, yeah, really any of it. And so half of it felt like a foreign language. And near the end, I think just sitting in silence for nine to ten days helps you come into a place of stillness. And the whole week was focused on opening our hearts. And, and, you know, it was like cracking away at the walls around your heart. And then on that final day, reflecting and meditating on death, Mm. on our eventual mortality. And what was the... What was the passage he read from or from it the book? It was from Ken Wilber, Grace and Grit, I think. Yeah. Read from. Yeah, around being next to his wife on her deathbed as she's in her final stage of cancer and she knows she's going, everybody knows she's going, and mm. just his words of reflection around that and really feeling, like viscerally feeling for the first time ever that I am truly going to die someday and that my time here is limited and it could be a month a year a couple decades we don't know and when our when our teacher had us reflect and contemplate what would you do if you knew you were going to die in one year from now Mm. how would you live your life if you truly knew that and that's such a powerful question and you can approach that question from the mind but that day because of it being the 10th day the answers truly came from the heart. And for me, it felt like, you know, being in the silent meditation hall, you just heard people, like it was like popcorn cracking in all the the different corners of the room. There's like 30 of us in the room and you could just hear each person breaking down at their own interval with the weight of what that question was was asking. I was my eyes out on the other side of the room. Yeah, so I'm on the women's side on the left, you're on the man's side on the right. And I just... You know, we're also not supposed to be looking at each other and making eye contact, but I'm looking straight at you and I'm <laughs> sobbing. And yeah, just the, the first two things that came to mind were I would do my best to heal my relationship with my family mm. and I would marry Johnny. Mm. And it just was this, I'm, I'm done. I'm done fucking around. Like I'm ready mm. to grow up. I'm ready to mm. commit. I'm ready to mm. stop playing some of the more adolescent games that I had been playing for a long time, not consciously. Uh, and I knew that commitment and spending quality time with the people I love was the way I'd want to spend the last year of my life. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting chills just remembering, remembering that weekend. And shortly afterwards, we, we, we actually both then went straight into the, the dark room. I did a 10-day stint and you did a five-day stint. And yeah, that whole experience led to proposing to you um, and, and getting married 12 days later. <laughs> and, it's yeah. quite the adventure. And now we're sitting here seven months into, into the marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, so staying on the staying on the, the theme of self, I'd love to talk about the the Animas Vision Quest, and to give some context for listeners, I interviewed Bill Plotkin about I think four episodes previously, and he talks about why he believes these wilderness rites of passage are are so needed. But I'd love to hear again what were your what were your own personal motivations for 
signing up for this vision quest and uh maybe you could paint pictures for paint the picture for listeners a little bit like what was what was that like mm-hmm. yeah so a 10-day silent meditation retreat does not solve all of your life's existential Shocking. problems Shocking. <laughs> Spoiler. if anything it might bring more of them up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I've just been on this inner journey now for a handful of years and without mentorship, guidance, a -hmm. clear direction of where to go, truly a pathless path, as David White says, Mm -hmm. and really self-navigated, self-guided, which is great. It's given me the gift of resilience and creativity and curiosity when it comes to healing, Um, but it's also been super lonely and has taken me down some very strange places. I've exiled myself from different relationships and yeah, it's like stumbling around in a dark room, sometimes banging your shin in your head against walls, (laughs) which we did in the dark room. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I just felt like, like there was still big unknowns about who I actually am. Mm -hmm. And so I signed up for the quest only about a month prior did I actually get in. So about end of April, I signed up or I, I tried to get on the wait list about a month prior to that. So sometime in March. And I found out about it yeah, early in the year, 2021. And it was just this instant yes. I was also reading Bill's books, mm-hmm. which you had nudged me several times to pick up and read. And it's, you know, the perfect... It's that experience when the perfect book lands on your lap at the perfect moment and you need exactly what it's telling you mm-hmm. and you see your journey and your life reflected in the words yeah. so eloquently. And I just felt like I was staring at a, a framework that mm. explained what I had been navigating and some of these bigger existential questions that I had been having mm. and questions like, who am I and what am I really here to do? Mm. And I I believe deep down that I have a purpose, a unique purpose, and I just can't quite put my finger on it. And if I don't figure it out, I don't know what I'm going to do. It it literally was like, if I can't figure this out, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to figure this out or at least get closer to smelling the truth. Hmm. And something I've learned along the way is like, you'll never fully touch it, but it's like you're sniffing out the soul. You're sniffing out the truth. Hmm. And so I signed up really as a way to meet myself in the depths of a much more profound experience than, you know, a plant medicine journey over one day or just a couple of days could give me um, something that would truly reshape my amateur, not amateur, but um, young ego, my juvenile ego to be more mature. And when I read that in Bill's book, in his latest book, The Journey of Soul Initiation, Mm -hmm how it's really about reshaping the ego to be an agent of soul, that I I said, yes, because school did not give me the tools to become a mature adult. Um, My family didn't prepare me to be a mature adult. Our society hasn't done that. And here he was offering this very unique yet what just felt like profound truth to me about how to actually grow up. And I had had a few experiences in 2020 where I really met the edges of my integrity and was very much confronted with bad behavior on my part. Mm. And having to really look at that and own that catapulted me into this another layer of my inner journey 
of saying, it's time to grow up. Mm. What does that mean? Mm. And I've come across, I think it's, is it Ken Wilber's? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, clean up, grow up. Oh, wake up, clean, clean up, up, grow, grow up, up, show up. Yeah. So, you know, similar to that. Yeah. But the languaging of that didn't really work for me. And yeah. Bill's model is rooted in in the earth and in the wild. And mm-hmm. I, I connect so deeply to the natural world. Mm-hmm. So it just felt like like a hell yes, I need this experience. <laughs> and then when I found uh, found the the quest that I ultimately got on in Utah at the end of May, it was over my 32nd birthday. Mm-hmm. It was so perfectly placed between our trip in Mexico and our, our move to Bali. Yeah. And it just felt like, if not now, then when? Yeah. So it was all put divinely in my path, I believe. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And could you could you kind of share for listeners what were some of the the practices or, or rituals or how did the guides lead you kind of into that place where you were ready for the the four day fast? What were some of the questions they were they were asking? Yeah, so the the preparation really begins before you're there. Mm-hmm. Something Animus does very well is the preparation material that they give you in their welcome emails. Mm-hmm. I think the document was called Psycho-Spiritual Preparation and it was like 20 pages long and it just had the most profound questions mm-hmm. to ponder on different activities to engage in that would really help you separate from your attachment to your past identity mm-hmm. and your past life. The life that you are consciously saying, I'm willing to leave this now. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of going into the wilderness and as they say, crying for a vision, praying for a vision mm-hmm. of of the true you, of the deeper self, mm-hmm. of your mythopoetic identity and soul, in order to actually be gifted with those visions, you have to be ready to receive them because what they're going to ask of you is nothing short of everything. Mm-hmm. So you have to be both ready and willing to say goodbye to everything that you once knew to be true. So in those days and weeks of preparation, which a bit unfortunately, you know, we were in the midst of moving internationally and we were staying with friends and I wasn't able to accomplish it with the depth and level of presence that I wish I could have, but I did my best. And I think I had been preparing for this type of experience for some time. Mm -hmm. And questions like, what chapter of your life is coming to an end? What do you think is being asked of you now or being birthed through you? How has life seasoned you Mm. to go in and cry for a vision? Mm. And not just for yourself, but for your, for your people, for your, whoever it is you're here to serve. Mm. And if you don't know who that is, take a stab at it. Who do you think? And it could be people, places, Mm. animals, the more than earth community or the more than human community. And so, yeah, by the time you actually get to the quest, you are primed. You're on the descent, as they call it. Right. You're going down. You're going inward. Right. I said goodbye to you. I said I had a garage sale. I sold a lot of my things. Mm-hmm. I kind of said goodbye to my family, but not really because it was a hard conversation to engage in to tell them what I was actually doing. Mm-hmm. But internally, I was ready to come out with revelations that would that could have completely altered the trajectory of my life. 
whether that was moving somewhere radically new or changing my name in crazy ways, entering into a new profession. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, so I just allowed myself to go in as a clean slate. Mm. <sighs> so when we actually began the adventure and arrived as a group, we, we start by unplugging ourselves from what we call middle world dialogue. So we're not talking about politics. We're not talking about our careers. We're starting to go by our soul names. If we didn't know what those were, we just chose names that weren't our actual given names. <laughs> and we just started to detach ourselves from our past identities and begin to connect with the deeper longings of the soul. What are those big questions that you're here to put out into the canyon. And so you're not necessarily looking for answers. You're just giving your questions out and receiving whatever comes back. And if nothing comes back, you receive that too. And so um, another part is we are actively trying to change our state of consciousness to go from our middle world consciousness of task-oriented uh, right brain, mm -hmm. you know, strategic thinking mm -hmm. to seeing the subtle signs of metaphor, myth, seeing images, um, connecting with dreams, the subtleties. Mm -hmm. So we're doing things like trance dance ceremony, dream work, council circles, wandering for hours by ourselves out on the land, mm -hmm. um, whole bunch of really beautiful soul craft practices as they're called and if mm -hmm. someone could just read soul craft or the journey of soul initiation to to learn a little bit more about what might be involved in the actual vision quest mm. yeah beautiful and um as you're saying that saying that it makes me think they are practices that are like specifically designed to just shift our attention from the, our right hemisphere stuff into our left hemisphere and just mm -hmm. be more receptive and it's almost like a new way of experiencing the world in, in some ways. Completely. And I would say it was incredibly humbling for me because I had approached my healing and my path of self and identity from a very practical, you know, framework. Mm -hmm. Even even things that do alter my consciousness, say going to sit with a shaman and do plant medicine, like it's still a kind of a tactical decision right. of like, oh, I heard that this could achieve X, Y, and Z. That's so I'm going to go do this now. And, and then at the end, I'm like, okay, well, what happened and how am I different? <laughs> you know, very like yeah, results oriented. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. in the canyon, I'm so grateful because the other participants, my, my soul family, as they truly are, we had a spectrum of experience levels. So there were people who had already done a, a handful of quests and mm -hmm. they really became models for me to understand this process because it's very nuanced and it's very subtle and I had not been accustomed to slowing down to the level of being able to notice subtleties mm -hmm. and so I actually feel like the whole time I was sort of this baby deer learning how to walk in the realm of soul mm -hmm. and just so confused mm -hmm. you know for instance we go out on a wander and Someone comes back and says, I saw this rock and the rock looked like the woman from my dream. So I spoke to the rock and and then she sang back to me in the song and then the bird flew overhead and 
landed on this branch, which looked like the snake and, and just like, and, and then it moved me to tears. And this is the poem that came through. <laughs> and I would just be mouth open, like just in awe. Like, what do you mean? That was your experience. Like it sounds so mythical and it really is. You're entering yeah, yeah. into a mythic mindset and myth has, it's only now starting to make sense to me. Yeah. Here's a good way of describing it. I think up until the vision quest, most poetry did not make sense to me. Mm. I just felt like grammatically incorrect sentences on pages, <laughs> unless it was Hector, you know, Hector the Collector and Roald Dahl. I understood Roald Dahl's poetry, but you give me like Rilke or Rumi or David White, and mm -hmm. I, and I was I don't understand it, yeah. right? And finally, in the in the Vision Quest, because mm. we 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 read our guide read us a lot of poetry. Mm. I started to actually be able to feel the words and the resonance of them and what, what it was asking of me and how it was reflecting deep longings within my soul. Mm, wow. So the whole time was me kind of oscillating between the way my ego wanted to control the experience mm. and force its projections and its goal-oriented to-do list on it and then softening mm. into a much deeper current. Um, and so it really, I think, was just my first, it was the appetizer vision quest of my life. <laughs> I needed to experience that to even have an understanding of what is being, what it's asking of me. Mm. I fully intend on doing another one in a couple of years. Yeah. Mm. Wow. It, it makes me think of, there's a line by David White. He says his way of describing poetry is language that we, of which we have no defense. And it's like, if you are trying to figure out the meaning and understand it, as we were taught to do in school, then it doesn't really land. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like, you have to be able to let it pass your defenses, pass the like rational brain. And um, I think you have to sink deeper into your own experience yeah. to see yourself in it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it mm -hmm. is just words mm -hmm. of this guy's experience, mm -hmm. but really it's such a, such a subtle mirror mm -hmm. to our own experience if we're willing to let it in, mm -hmm. letting those defenses down. Completely. Yeah. And I think that um, it reminds me of we've been both reading this book, The Women Who Run With The Wolves. Um, and something I know you've been thinking a lot about is this idea of rewilding. And you've you've even kind of created this this framework to think about the process going from from caged to feral to wild. And I wonder, could you speak to each of these stages and maybe, as you just said, help listeners to relate to where they might be in that kind of framework in their own lives. Definitely. And I want to connect it to what we were just talking about with the yeah, vision quest. Feels related, yeah. Of course, <laughs> everything's connected. Um, yeah. So at the, you know, not that there's a goal to the vision quest, but one of the hopes, one of the prayers is that you leave with a better understanding of your mythopoetic identity, which comes to you in the form of, symbolism, imagery, um, a feeling, a felt sense, a dream. You know, it's not so direct. And on the very last day that we were there, I was gifted. It's truly a gift to be able to connect with these things. Um, I was gifted the image of a very savage version of myself, this wild, primal woman dancing naked in the 
forest, naked, um, covered in mud. And there was, you know, some more things there. But she, it just felt like an aspect of my soul that needed to be expressed. So coming out of the canyon, you begin exploring these images and like trying them on and letting them work on you. So going back and, and being with her and visiting her through imagination journeys and just having her in my mind's eye and, and letting the world sort of show me what's next, the next step. And I had started reading Women Who Run With the Wolves while on a yoga retreat just about two months prior. And that first chapter, my whole body was electrified as in as if it was just this deep, reconnection with this idea of wild and if anyone if no one's read that book like oh my gosh men and women all ages need to read that book mm-hmm. and I just really connected with there's a there's a wild part of me that hasn't been expressed and I don't know what that means so then going through the vision quest and connecting with savage daughter as I've called her I I began reading the book again when coming out of the canyon as well as a few other books around women really rooting down into themselves. So I read uh, If Women Rose Rooted by Sharon Blackie and Wild by Jay Griffiths. Uh, Because there was also a whole thing around roots and the roots of trees and rooting down that came up that was really prevalent as a theme. And so connecting with these different books and seeing my own journey reflected in the mythic stories that they were telling both If Women Rose Rooted and Women Who Run With the Wolves tells a lot about fairy tales and myths. And I'm trying to understand the mythic language more and see myself reflected in it because it does feel like a a pathway to self-awareness and healing. Mm -hmm. And the way that uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, the author of Women Who Run With the Wolves, the way she describes the different stages of a woman's wild the the sabotage of a woman's wild nature the wildish self that's within her and what it what that means it's a it's a cutting off from your creativity from your sensuality from your aliveness from your intuition Mm. from your sensing of what is real and what is right from your connection to the earth from cycles seasons from truth and it felt like the archetype of all archetypes in so many ways, like you unlock the wildest nature within you and you connect with the healthy archetypal energies of, of everything. And I don't know if that's true. It's the way I'm interpreting it right now. And yeah, the way my mind works, I just started seeing these three distinct stages of my wild journey, starting with being very wild as a little girl. We all begin wild. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of all of this. Wild is our natural, inherent nature. So we come in and we're crazy and we're connected to source and we're intuitive and we ask for what we want. And we are earthlings. We are creatures, right? And then through conditioning and society and family and what it means to be human, I guess, uh, at least the human condition that we've all kind of grown up to know, we go through a caging process. We get put into cages. We're asked to color within the lines, 
follow the rules, stick to a, a path, a plan. And with each part of our wildish nature that gets cut off, we essentially build one more bar around us. And over time, they become these invisible bars that, that are unconscious. They get programmed into our nervous systems, into our belief systems. We're not even, we don't recognize that we're operating on them. It's the people like you talked about in the beginning who are on autopilot, who are mm -hmm. coasting. Mm -hmm. I would argue that those people are in cages. Mm -hmm. They might be very cushy, mm -hmm. like super, uh, super lovely cages for them. They've got their needs met. They might have a lot of money. They might have luxuries, you know, but at the end of the day, is it really nourishing the deeper longings of the soul? And then the people who I, who hit midlife crises and existential crises at whatever ages those come at, um, I think are having the awakening that they're living in some type of cage, both of their own creation and the creation of others. And that awakening, that awareness that I'm in a cage, okay, I don't want to be in this cage. Okay, I don't know how to get out of this cage, but I'm going to start figuring it out. And I believe that is what initiates the inner journey of finding the path of self-sovereignty, of really learning how we are the creators of our own destiny. And that's a, a road full of a lot of potholes and uncertainties, but anyone who's walked it for a long enough period of time will tell you that eventually they find that sense of freedom from other people's rules and they learn to navigate their own bars, I guess, through understanding the protectors that live within them and the stored traumas and the unhelpful beliefs that kind of rule their lives. And then the more awareness that we have and the more freedom that we experience, I think we become feral. So feral is the, you know, it's the zoo animal who finally gets let out of the zoo. It's the domesticated animal who runs away. It, I think using animals is, is a perfect metaphor for this. Um, and what happens when a previously domesticated or caged animal all of a sudden is in the wild? They don't really know what they're doing. Their, their intuition, their instinct may not be quite as intact had they, if they had grown up wild, you know. They might cause some problems. They don't know where to go, who their pack is, who, who they can trust, mm. how to fend for themselves. And so my feral years, I believe, were the majority of my 20s. I think I actually escaped the cage around 19. And, but then I was feral for quite some time. And that feral was a dangerous place to be because I was both, I was like half domesticated and half wild where I befriended people I shouldn't have, took opportunities that weren't mine. My instincts were injured. I, I was taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. I was in partnerships that were had certain levels of abuse in them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just found myself on different slippery slopes of not really being able to fend for myself correctly. And so I'm in this phase now where I'm consciously rewilding, which means I'm taking a look at those different aspects of my feral nature and the parts of me that might still be caged and really tending to them from a more mature place mm -hmm. and proactively learning how I can be 
a mature member of the wild community. Mm. And I believe that wild is maturity. It is a generative, resourceful, collaborative, creative place. It's the path of eldership. It's the path of true adulthood. So if you read Bill's book, he talks a lot about true adulthood and true elderhood. And I think being wild is its inner sovereignty. And once you've achieved some semblance of inner sovereignty, it's inevitable that you're going to start caring for people other than yourself. You're going to look to the earth. You're going to look to the animals. You're going to look to the um, less fortunate. And you're going to start doing your part to help because you're no longer a victim. You're no longer being attacked by an invisible enemy. You have the resources and it's not necessarily a perfect linear line of first your cage, then your feral, then your wild. Mm -hmm. I think we dance between all of these and there's going to be certain parts of you in one and certain right. parts of you in another. Yeah, I think, that's really I think when you get to maybe true adulthood and true elderhood, like you're more or less in wild. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think we probably spend a lot of time in the feral. Once we, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in the caged and then mm -hmm. without the right, that's why I'm just so passionate about there being mentorship in the healing space, in the awakening space, because without it, feral is dangerous to mm -hmm. both the person mm -hmm. and to those in their presence, mm -hmm. their family, their friends, their loved ones. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just think of like a feral fox or an animal that's, that's injured, like it's, it, tends to be violent as well like they'll they'll bite they'll attack they'll be angry because they've been hurt and they'll yeah um, it's very me 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 yeah. i need to i need to feed i need shelter i need the things yeah, and i will yeah. take down whatever it takes for that to happen right. so you know they start learning that they need things and that they they're resourceful you start learning resourcefulness and resilience and yeah. positive qualities are truly developed in the feral stage yeah. um i just think that there's aspects of it that can be uh better handled with yeah. quality support mentorship and guidance totally yeah totally beautiful so let's let's move the conversation on to on the second marriage of work which i think is particularly interesting because so much of our identity and sense of self really is wrapped up in in our vocation and i know that for me this is something i've really wrestled with since letting go of the identity of being a startup co-founder um, that was one of my first kind of crises. Um, and I remembered that when we first met here in Bali, you were working as a sleep coach and we actually gave a talk down the road. Um, but what are some of the other kind of multifaceted <laughs> jobs, career directions or businesses that you flirted with? <laughs> just give us like a lay of the land <laughs> my reckless resume Your reckless resume you want me to yeah, say my reckless resume lay it on the table oh my gosh well i think performance <laughs> sleep coach is certainly up there as one of the more obscure random choices along the way the first <laughs> by the way he fell in love with me at that talk that was his first <laughs> real interaction with me seeing me in my in my limelight and my power. The sleepwithkelly.com domain name behind See, you. See, that's the thing is I'm incredibly talented at good branding. And so I really just did it so I could have a, a reason to have sleepwithkelly.com. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I've been in branding. I've been in marketing and copywriting mm -hmm. uh, for many years. Communications is a, is a natural skill set mm -hmm. uh, for me. 
And I've dabbled in that realm, both for myself and for clients and marketing agencies, all sorts of different things. My initial introduction to the work world was food and beverage, hospitality. My first job was at a New York style pizza pizzeria, still to this day, one of my favorite work experiences ever. You have the scars to prove it. As I well. do. I still I mean, have the burn marks. Six, seventeen years ago, and I still have the burns. I hope they never go away. Shout out to Bert if he's listening. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I worked at Disney. I eventually made my way to the mountains of Colorado. I worked for a ski resort, sold lift tickets, worked as a high-end concierge at very, very um, beautiful hotel properties catering to, yeah, very high-class humans on ski vacations. Had a great time doing it. I worked for a rafting company. I tried to become a raft guide when I was 21, and four days before I turned 21, I was in raft guide training, and I bashed out my two front teeth. (laughs) So I ended up just becoming their office girl. (laughs) Probably one of my bigger regrets is not finishing that training. I didn't need my teeth to raft. (laughs) And um, yeah, and then my longest standing career and the one that has caused me probably the most existential growth was when I lived in the mountains of Nevada and California. I worked as an adult entertainer, as an exotic dancer for private bachelor parties at Airbnb luxury homes. And that was as one can imagine, a very unique experience. I could write a whole book about that experience. Mm. I plan to put a performance together about it someday. Uh, Yeah, a lot learned in that phase. And then I also dabbled in the startup world too, you know. In my college years, I I was in the entrepreneurship community, business plan competitions. I worked for an angel investment organization reading business plans. I've looked at hundreds upon hundreds of business plans. I worked for a tech incubator, helped try to help get new apps off the ground, inside sales at big online tech companies. Uh, And then several of my own startups, freelance here and there. Mm -hmm. So a whole smorgasbord. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought I'd done a lot of things, but I think you put my reckless resume to shame. <laughs> um, and we've both kind of talked at length about, we're actually just talking about this at lunch, um, about the gifts and, and shadows of being like an interdisciplinary human with lots of, a multi-potential, I, I think mm. is the phrase some people use. Um, what have been some of the struggles or identity crises that you've experienced along the way? And, and maybe more importantly for listeners who can relate to this, how have you learned to integrate and avoid the sense of compartmentalization uh, with different parts of your psyche? So the path of work, I think, has been my pathway to awakening. Mm. It has been riddled with existential questions since the beginning. Mm. When I was of age to begin working in high school, I didn't want to. <laughs> my mom said, if you don't get a job, I'm going to apply to Wendy's, which is a fast food chain, and and you will get a job there. And so within a few days, I got a job at this pizza place. <laughs> and and I loved it. And 
but I, I wasn't the one itching to work formally. I was not the kid with the lemonade stand. I was not mowing lawns. I just didn't care as much. And so then, you know, not going to university, which if you don't go straight to university and you're not inherently entrepreneurial or resourceful in that way, um, or you don't have mentorship in that, you, you kind of don't know what to do. So I worked at restaurants for a long time and just kind of kept following like weird internships and different, whatever was just sort of presented to me, I just would kind of take. And for a while that, that worked until probably my mid twenties when it just felt like I needed to be somebody. Hmm. And when I graduated from university, top of my class, entrepreneur, I was dubbed entrepreneur of the year at one point, having never successfully launched anything. And if someone gives you the title like entrepreneur of the year with a, an engraved medal and you give a speech. It's the young ego, right? Oh my gosh. Well, it does. <laughs> and if you don't feel worthy of that, mm, it, it yeah, yeah. actually crumbles. Right. It crashes on you. Right. So I had this outer persona that had been developed through school and through essentially just being a really good student. Mm -hmm. And our assignments were build a business plan, mm -hmm. launch a fictional company. All right, well, you give me an assignment, I'm going to, I'm going to crush it. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> they just uh, believed and made me believe that like, that was actually the path of entrepreneurship mm -hmm. was being really good at doing assignments, you know? Um, and when that wasn't what an entrepreneur actually does, <laughs> it really crashed me. I, I really didn't know what to do. So I left thinking, I've got this. And then I just felt so ill-equipped. Uh, and that turned, it, it essentially made me turn away from a lot of what the work that I had already done um, to develop that persona. A lot of self-worth issues of like, this, this apparently isn't for me. Um, I don't know who I am. You know, I didn't resonate with my degree. I just didn't resonate with any of the jobs that I had had. So really left with this boiling cauldron of confusion. <laughs> and I just kept making choices out of fear. And then eventually, you know, money concerns lead you to do whatever you need to do. So that is what kept me in my job as a dancer for so long. So it was quick cash. Mm -hmm. But then that too became this compartmentalized identity. Mm. I was working full-time at a PR agency Monday through Friday. I was dancing on the weekends with an alter ego persona that nobody knew about. I was living two lives, hmm. two identities um, structured around the idea of work. Hmm. <clears throat> so my psyche and my life was prime for <laughs> a, a cracking open, one <laughs> might say. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's what happened in navigating the question of it's not even really about work. It's, it's hmm. how do I want to spend my time on this earth, hmm. knowing that work is a huge component of that. Mm -hmm. And for me, as I shared earlier, this idea of purpose, the thing that led me to go to the vision quest that I'm here for a deeper purpose hmm. is connected to work, is connected to vocation, or as Bill Plotkin says, it's your delivery method of your mythopoetic identity. But I'm more concerned about knowing what my soul's purpose is, what my eco niche is, what my mythopoetic identity is. And from that place, mm. I will have a clear idea of how to deliver those gifts out into the world. So I decided, I 
think a couple years ago that everyone was doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like to follow the the golden handcuffs or to follow the accolades or the paychecks or just the status and, and even the safety, you know, and I, and I don't want to, I've been very unsafe with some of my decisions. I've put myself in very scary financial situations by not sticking to a, a routine work schedule, by not staying in one place. So I cannot blame anybody for wanting the safety of a consistent career mm. and job. But there was just this part of me that could not stay in a job if it didn't feel connected to a deeper aspect of who I really am. Mm. And the only job that actually gave me a, a sense of that was dancing. Mm. It, gave, it was the only job where I actually felt like I had any semblance of true power mm. and like healthy power, you know, a power to express myself fully. So over the last few years, really the last year, it's been an exploration of how can I build myself a business or a brand or a, a way of earning income that does not sabotage the deeper longings of my soul, doesn't build too strong of an invisible cage and allows my identity and existence to be fluid along with it. And I haven't seen very many people do that. And so I've really had to go, I've had to both go deep within myself and look in far off places of what other humans have done, take bits and pieces from what I like here and there and stitch together what I'm calling my soulful business model, my soulful business blueprint mm. in order to stay radically true and aligned with myself as I evolve. Mm. And I think what a lot of entrepreneurs can do, um, what's easy to do, is just build yourself another cage yeah. that's difficult to escape from. So true. And you've worked with a lot of founders who, you know, more classic founders, founders of tech companies with mm -hmm. employees and whatnot. And it usually seems that they hit a point where they're like, how do I get the hell out of this thing that I've built? Yeah, it often leads to burnout in, in many of them. Right. And one of the questions that I asked myself coming out of the vision quest was how do I build a life that I'm not afraid to go back to? Mm. Because a lot of people were leaving and were terrified to go back to their lives. They were terrified to go back to their marriages, to their jobs, mm. to the agreements and the contracts that they had made prior to the vision quest. And I said, okay, this is not going to be my last vision quest. It's not going to be my last big journey in. I'm probably just getting started. And so how do I design a life? And that includes commitments, marriage and work and maybe children someday and homes and whatnot. How do I do this in a way that mm. still fosters the freedom to evolve mm. and to connect even deeper on the soul level yeah. where I don't feel like I need to ever really pull the, the escape hatch, right. you know? Right. And, and there's this sense that I get of, of like, it's almost like your identity has to expand to be able to include all of these different facets within it. And you're no longer kind of saying, I am a startup founder. I am this, I am that. But you're, you're associated with, like you said, that mythopoetic identity and all of the projects, the businesses, the things that you do become 
kind of delivery vehicles for that. And they, they'll change, they'll evolve, they'll mix, but you kind of, your identity isn't attached to them directly. Completely. Is, is that kind of... Yes. So I think viewing things as a project versus a business mm -hmm. has been an, a good switch for me, a healthy switch, because projects have end dates. And that end date could be in 10 years from now, mm -hmm. but it could also be in a couple months. And so really just getting clear on like, what is the project that lights me up right now and running experiments yeah, yeah. because we don't truly know how something is going to feel or what is going to happen to us until we're in the experience. Yeah. And I believe now I believe that building a business, a brand, launching projects is a spiritual experience. If you so choose it, I think it is no matter what, um, because nothing, nothing really is compartmentalized. It might be mm -hmm. in our own psyches, but it's nothing's actually compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. And uh, the more I can accept that I'm learning about myself and I am evolving through the act of creation. Mm. And that's been a gift of reading books like The Artist's Way and Women Who Run With the Wolves mm -hmm. is recognizing that creativity is our pure essence. It is life force energy. Mm -hmm. And we are here as creative beings to birth new things. Whether you're a man or a woman, we're here to birth things. Right. And, and I think also get curious about the blocks that are in the way as well, right? Like, so, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's and the old me that's would, would like start heading down a path to build a project and I would hit a bunch of blocks and then I would say, oh, well, clearly I'm, I'm not capable. I'm not worthy. This isn't for me. I'll just mm -hmm. pivot and turn back around and go back to mm. square one. Yep. Um, so a lot of dead end projects because I didn't realize that I was actually just hitting my kind of upper limit beliefs mm -hmm. and what I needed to then just do is stop, slow down, do a little bit of inner work, get curious, yeah, yeah, yeah. move forward. Yep. So it is, uh, I think just like what I imagine being a parent is like, you grow up and mature through the act of doing the thing. <laughs> and I think. And, and David talks about that in The Three Marriages. Mm -hmm. You don't truly grow up and mature mm. until you're in the marriage. Mm. And so if we're talking about the, the marriage to work, one must commit themselves to a path. Mm. And just like a marriage to a human, you're going to be confronted all the time. <laughs> and you're going to have... <laughs> and you're going to... You're going to sometimes want to pull the escape hatch and you're going to want to look for greener pastures or you're going to, mm -hmm. you know, be just derailed in some way. So I think reading actually his words around work, being a marriage in and of itself and now being on this path of marriage with you and really what it comes down to is just working through commitment problems, commitment fears. Mm -hmm. um, so now, you know, I'm just so excited for what this path of work really is going to offer me. Mm -hmm bringing so many years of asking these bigger questions. Yeah. I don't see myself waking up at 55, looking around at my life and being so dissatisfied and having a midlife crisis. Like I think I, my, that big crisis is more or less done because now, you know, now there's just going to be little mini crises all the time and I know how to navigate them. <laughs> now <laughs> one, one now I look forward to them. Night, night. I'm like, oh, bring it. <laughs> Uh, well, well, that feels like a suitable point to talk about that third marriage, which is is us. Mm. Um, and as as we mentioned, this is is actually our eighteen month anniversary since we first met. 
um, no, no since, we since we first officially kind of got together. Yeah, I guess. since the day we said, yeah, we... let's be monogamous and be together. Yes. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Yes. <laughs> um, and so in some ways, we're kind of babies on that path as well. But I, I feel like it would be interesting for us to both reflect on some of what we've learned about ourselves and navigating some of these challenges together. Mm. So, Juicy. yeah, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, do you want to start us off by sharing a little of what being in a conscious partnership means to you or, or maybe how your concept of it has changed over the years and is that still shifting? Big question. You just put it out there. Well, I think the answer to that is really easy. It just means that I get the first bite of cacao mm. before you. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we need to stop the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and all is well in in the kingdom. <laughs> and this is where I realized opening it's a, approaching dinner time and our stomachs are rumbling. <laughs> Yes. No, it's a beautiful question. And it's also funny because just the term conscious partnership has probably only been on my radar for about maybe a year and a half. Right. So Likewise. how has that definition evolved? It's been a very short period of time to even have that definition. We could even just say partnership. Well. No, relationship. Yeah. God, what would it have been like to have the words conscious partnership in my awareness when I was much younger? Wow. So, yeah, my ideas of partnership you know, we, we initially pick up on the partnership formulas that we learn from, you know, primarily our caretakers, so our parents and what their partnership arrangement was like. And my parents separated when I was five. It was a pretty messy divorce. Mm -hmm. They did not communicate well with each other for almost my entire adolescent years through my 20s. There's a lot of resentment, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. And I didn't have my dad around, so I didn't grow up with very strong masculine influences. And that impacted me in a lot of really big ways. I think in, when I started becoming interested in, in guys and boys, and I realized, oh, I'm, I'm pretty, and boys are interested in me, and I have some hypnotic power over them as this woman with breasts and a big smile and a bubbly personality, I just let myself feel a sense of purpose within that path. So I became a, a habitual dater and I loved the attention of guys. And I went from partnership to partnership, or at the time I used the word relationship, boyfriend to boyfriend. And many of them were unconscious they were just going with the flow not actively co-creating something that was meaningful not checking in with one another not really navigating the obstacles of life with um, awareness and I that's just a I think a reflection of my own state of consciousness in them you know I didn't consider myself an awakened person in those so naturally it was just kind of a, a sleepy Part, conscious partnership, unconscious partnership, I would guess I would say. That said, um, I've dated also some amazing men and they helped introduce me to some of the activities and lifestyles that are still to this day a big part of who I am, the outdoors, action sports, and um, 
there's gifts from every single partnership, every single one. And something that was profound is right before we got married, I actually emailed mm. most of my ex-partners thanking them for the role that they had played in my life. Bold move. <laughs> very bold. And three out of four were very positive responses. One was not. And that's okay because it wasn't really about the response. It was more about me in my soul evolution needing to express gratitude to the people in my life who had really helped shape me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the something my 200-hour yoga teacher taught me or shared was um, the reason for any one thing is everything. The reason for any one thing is everything. So the reason that I'm with you and I'm married you is everything. And that means there's a whole lot of things to be grateful for. And as a partner, I had to be very grateful for all of my past partnerships. And there was a lot of reasons to do so. I didn't have to have to do it, but mm -hmm. it was genuine. Mm. And uh, so that I think was just a big breakthrough in seeing this woven thread of connection between every love, every romance, every fling, every long-term, short-term relationship that I had engaged with to make my way to you where we could really dive in and, and create something that was actively a conscious partnership. Mm. Um, but our journey to get there has also been an adventure because my level of self-awareness, I can only speak to my own experience, but my level of self-awareness when we first got together was, I think, just a fraction of what it is today and what I hope is a micro fraction of what it will be in 10, 20, 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. And so 18 months ago, I was still very much in my wild or like the feral stage, kind of the crazed feral. Mm -hmm. And this last year and a half has been a just a... It's like the waves of an ocean hitting you while you're trying to paddle out to surf, which is something that we are trying to get me to do. Uh, but it's just like, it was just like one thing after another, after another of just like humbling, like smack in the face, smack in the face. And, and not always painfully so, but just like, oh, here's that thing that I do. Oh, here's that thing that I do. And uh, I think you and I did something very skillful. And that was seeking outside help mm -hmm. and outside reflection early on. Yep. So we've been together for 18 months and we've already worked with two coaches, yep. one of whom was so skillful at helping to reflect back the, the unique constitutions that we were both bringing to the table, our mm -hmm. attachment theories, our traumas, mm -hmm. our childhoods, our backgrounds, mm -hmm. and really help us understand what it is that's what these two nervous systems are trying to bring to a, a life together right and and the exploration of that has been I think a huge shift um, in our ability to interact uh -huh. empathize have compassion for yeah. and consciously communicate through the hurdles yeah yeah I, I totally agree and this is something I was thinking about just before we started we hit record um, thinking about some of the things that we learned from these two therapists and coaches that we've worked with and I remember right at the outset we um, we began working with this lady who helped us get clear on 
what our vision for partnership was and you know what it even meant to us and she she had this idea of viewing the relationship as almost like a third entity in itself that has its own needs and desires and i think that's that's an idea that's definitely stuck with us and then as you mentioned earlier this year we found this wonderful psychotherapist who um, has been kind of looking at our attachment styles the ways that we show up in conflict um and for me i know that i historically have either shut down or i will I will like bypass any feelings of anger and just get straight to try and fix something or whatever the solution is. And I think we've both been learning how to show up and how to express whatever our truth is in that moment without it needing to be different or without blaming the mm-hmm. other person. Um, so is there, is there anything that stands out as being something that you've learned about yourself from the process of working in, in couples therapy or any of the sessions that stand out or any other thoughts that come to mind oh my this is very juicy it's very juicy (laughs) what comes up oh goodness well i mean just to be super transparent one of my patterns has been to want to leave when things get hard when i'm confronted with the reality of what just when i'm confronted Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. it has been easier in my life to make someone outside of myself the enemy or to seek greener pastures Mm -hmm. this kind of grass is always greener on the other side has been a a consistent theme in career in partnership and in couples in our in our couples therapy there was one moment where i was very i guess just very Uh, overwhelmed by this idea that I needed to spend time alone it that I needed to go find myself on my own and what I was so appreciative about our therapist and you was being able to receive that and hold it and not make it wrong Hmm. and let me get curious about it and no one had ever invited me to get curious about this thing that I staunchly believed was right Hmm. Um, but most people just got mad or, you know, freaked out. And so this idea of conscious communication of being able to hold a whole spectrum of experiences and truths and not say that, well, you're wrong because that doesn't line up with the way I feel and say like, okay, cool. That's the way you feel. Mm -hmm. Let's explore it. It's so simple. Once you learn these skills, it's so simple. And, um, yeah, being able to really get curious about why do I feel this need to flee and be on my own and recognizing through our conversation, it happened in the midst of our conversation, this epiphany of like, oh my gosh, I don't feel safe to fully be my the vastness of who I am, the full spectrum of who I am mm-hmm. within a container of partnership. As in, as if partnership was this limiting function in my life that was holding me back. And I needed to go beyond my own so I could go feel and express the fullness of me in whatever ways that is. Um, You know, whether it's anger or sexiness or bigness or loudness or quietness or crazy feminine woo-woo-ness. You know, I had this vision of joining a cult of women in the Nordic countries and learning... Um, Swedish shamanism and like spending a m- couple months in the forest like naked and just like learning shamanic trance drumming 
I still want still to do that. You should do that. Oh, I still <laughs> absolutely want to do that. And it's just this acknowledgement that you were beautiful at reflecting back to me of like, great. If that's a part of you, I love it too. And I want you to be that permission to be all of you. And it was this paradigm shifting idea of like permission to be all of me and to be in partnership. Mm. So not this either or mentality, but this yes and. And I think both of us explicitly giving the other person permission to be the fullness of them. And if they don't even know what that is, to explore it. Mm. And for us to create moments where we get to experiment with that mm. and entice different things out of one another, which keeps it their partnership more fresh keeps it alive it keeps it dynamic yeah. it's a win-win and something that you know maybe you can speak more to about is this idea that partnership is also a path to awakening mm -hmm. which i think you picked up from robert augustus masters mm. yeah well what, what comes to mind for me is i think the gift that came out of that process and of your exploring of how to be your full self within partnership i, I think there was a point where we almost like we redefined what partnership meant to us and kind of made the commitment that it would always be in kind of service to our like the highest part of ourselves mm. and to our souls and to what we felt called cool to do and if that meant spending you know long periods of time apart or whatever that looked like that was that was the decisions that we had to make because if we started making decisions just to to make things work or to keep the partnership together it would you know build and build up resentment and just cause all of these really bad downstream effects mm -hmm. and i think that was a real gift that came out of that and yeah i mean i think all of these <laughs> carla the puppy we're looking after is just saying hello <laughs> i think the the um the process of all of these three marriages is they're all they're all mirrors right like the way that we show up in work teaches us about ourselves and the way that we show up with each other it's like mirrors to these parts of ourselves that we we struggle to see otherwise and so we need i think intimacy is probably the most efficient vehicle for like surfacing our own shit our own insecurities our own shadows the ways we're out of integrity because no one else I don't think anyone else on the planet knows you as well as, as I do, knows me as well as, <laughs> as you do. Um, and vice versa. And yeah, and so that's, yeah, that's kind of what comes up for me. Completely. Uh, and I think it's just part of this path of maturing to be able to see it that way. Before it felt like if I, if all of a sudden you're triggering a whole bunch of things out of me, then you know, it's your fault or, or it can't possibly be me. And it's that just younger idea of the enemies outside. Mm. And if anything, we are just inviting one another to really know ourselves in such deeper ways. And I think both of us have matured and expanded our perspectives of what's even possible as individuals by expanding our awareness mm. of what's possible in partnership. Yep. And 100%. it's just this constant conversation mm. yeah, and feedback loop. Mm. And I think another important part that the world ought to know is this idea of sitting on the same side of the table. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's when we were having some of those bigger hurdles, we were sitting on opposite sides of the table. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like like lawyers. Like, here's my terms and here's your terms. <laughs> right. You We're know? trying to be right. We're trying to trying to be right. Win with a or like trying to find compromise, and even that word doesn't necessarily make anyone feel good. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how can we sit on the same side of the table and lay it all out on the table? Like, here's everything. Mm. And sometimes truths that just need to be spoken. Mm. And once they're spoken, once they get to be released, a deeper truth has room to blossom mm. to bloom mm -hmm. right it's like whatever's whatever what is that saying like the thing is not the thing <laughs> right you know it's so much deeper than that but in order yeah, to yeah. even get there it's like it's like paleontology not paleontology archaeology yeah, yeah you yeah. got to get through all the dirt and dust on the top to finally like get to the real gems yeah, yeah. and I'm very grateful that you've coined yourself as the curious human guy because this idea of curiosity is just absolutely essential hmm. uh, let's just get curious about what's here yep. and what's happening yep yeah totally um is there anything else that you think might be worth mentioning in the context of us or things that you think we're still learning oh well i hope we never stop learning <laughs> <laughs> yeah aim into that. yeah well it, it's just different seasons i think now we're you know we're here in bali mm -hmm. and there was still a question of, are we really staying here? Mm. And if so, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And what commitments are we making as a partnership now that we're, you know, looking down the path of maybe building a home or mm. buying, buying a home, maybe someday starting a family, just like asking these bigger questions. Mm -hmm. And if, if so, who do we need to become to really, do those things in the ways that we aspire to do. Hmm. Uh, and I think what we're, that's a good question. I think what we're really learning is how to truly co-create a life that is expansive and spacious enough for like the bigness of who we both are, mm -hmm. both as individuals and that collective third, mm. that third partnership. Yeah. And much like, you know, there's middle world mind and then there's like that lower level, that deeper level of consciousness that can hold a much larger poetic story. Mm. How do we also not get too wrapped up in like the task list and the day to day and totally. the logistics? We're mm. experts at logistics. You know, we can move across continents together and pack Strong up. Right a, brains. Yeah, we can pack up a all of our belongings in a tiny truck and move across the country and we can do these things. And I think we're both realizing like we're, we're tired of that. It doesn't do any, it, you know, it's a necessary step, but now let's sink into a deeper story. And what is the larger mythos of this union? And wow, a bat just flew into our living room. So <laughs> If that's not a sign of something, I don't know what is. <laughs> and I think we're expressing that through, you know, we're both stepping into our artistry. We're singing, we're dancing, we are expressing in really fun, vibrant ways. Maybe not publicly yet, but we're doing it with one another. And there's mm. this sense of safety to just explore our edges. Mm. Um, mm. And I know we're just getting started with that and it feels really juicy. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a musical instruments accumulating in the corner. <laughs> I wonder how large that collection is going to get. <laughs> um, 
yeah that's beautifully put I, I think there's something else that comes to mind for me which is I feel like we've also one of the things that um our, our therapist encourages us to do was to set kind of intentional containers for checking in once a week and I think this process of having a semi-weekly check-in to really dig deeper under the surface of what's going on I think is really surface and it's I think it's helped to kind of um, address any of the underlying questions or issues that either of us have before they become some kind of like big eruption Um, yeah and we can I mean we could share our format for that too it's you start with gratitudes Mm -hmm. what are we grateful for and then Mm do-overs What are some of the things that took place in the last week that we ourselves would do over? So we're like, it's an integrity cleanse on our part. Mm-hmm. And then grievances. Mm-hmm. What are the things that maybe the other person has done? Mm-hmm. And we communicate it in a nonviolent communication format. Ideally. So, <laughs> ideally. Uh, so that we're not, we're not being mean. We're not berating the other person. And we're finding co-creative solutions. Mm-hmm. And this is a format that we learned while living within community mm-hmm. at the Experience House in Guatemala, where 23 of us needed to come together and learn how to actually live cohesively. So we learned some very good skills on how to consciously communicate our needs, our desires. Mm-hmm. And uh, and sometimes you don't know until you're actually in the midst of sharing it. Completely. And then you're like, it's that somatic self-awareness, mm. which is something our therapist helped us do is you know, as you're explaining it and you realize the thing is not the thing and all of a sudden there's an emotional wave coming up and you want to cry or there's heat and you're jittery or there's anxiety and just owning that and allowing that to come into the space because it too has a role and to respect the emotion that's here. And then just through the expression of that, we get to find out what the real thing is. And then both of us every time are like, wow, that was cool. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. And wow, that was cool. And every single time we end up way more connected, more intimate. It always ends so beautifully. And if we forget to do these weekly check-ins, that's when like the bigger. That's that's just when we get really far into our busy egoic me 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 mind i'm focused on my desires my business my needs my productivity and we just sort of forget so these check-ins are just a reminder of like hey Mm. we're here as a union and there's a third how's Mm. that third doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah beautiful um okay so zooming zooming the lens out a bit uh i'd like to play a little game where i will say four or five words or phrases and then you just share Whatever comes to mind uh, in the context of these three marriages. How does that sound? Sure, I'm nervous. Okay. Phrase number one, I'm on to myself. Oh, my favorite saying. <laughs> yeah, so what that brings up is this ninja-like self-awareness that I'm trying to cultivate where when I catch myself, quote-unquote, doing the things that I do, the, the old behaviors, the patterns, the ways of self-sabotage, the ways of victim mindset. Yeah. However, I'm like stepping back into unhealthy feral or the caged. Um, and if I can have that ninja level awareness to catch myself either in the action or shortly thereafter, I love to use that saying, I'm on to myself. And then I choose a more conscious way of being. Word number two, commitment. 
the thing that used to terrify me and make me run <laughs> as far as possible. But now this really exciting new, I don't even want to say challenge, but like just this new exciting frontier to mm. explore across all facets of life. Hmm. Remember, forget, remember. The human experience. <laughs> and the title of Johnny Miller's poetry book. <laughs> plug the link, link in the show notes. <laughs> um, trust in the slipstream. Hmm. How does one go with the flow of life and to actually like really contemplate that phrase? So instead of trying to swim against the stream, against the current, how is the trajectory of your life naturally guiding you? And I think sometimes when we are living from a more egoic place of like my desires, my wanting to control and, and form the world to fit what I want, uh, we're out of that slipstream. And when we can sink back into our awareness and really just go with the tide, uh, that's when things are fluid, flowy, serendipities take place. You can actually access genuine gratitude and love. I think that's where the real, the real like juice and gem of life is. Mm. Otherwise, it's a, it's a struggle. You get tired. It's like a turtle trying to swim against the slipstream and a turtle would never be able to make it the vast distances that it travels if it weren't for the slipstream. Pathless path. This is the way that I am exploring life. I think walking the path of soul, that deeper current, those deeper longings, is inherently a pathless path because no two people can really walk the same soul path because we're all here to learn our own individual lessons create our own individual creations and we can take inspiration guidance mentorship from others but truly the path we walk is a path of our own making and until you take the next step you don't really know what it's going to be well it feels like a nice um segue to ask what what creative projects are really alive for you right now um or maybe more importantly, what is what is the role of of soul in your life on this path? This path. Mm. Well, I have never not been an idea factory. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> my whole life, whole life, and so I'm now really lit up by asking the question: How can I create, co-create a life, and a life of projects, beautiful creative projects in alignment with soul, in a co-creative conversation with soul. And to help me do that, my current initiative, which is something that I will be inviting other people to join me on, is merging basically the left brain and the right brain. Mm. So actually creating a, I guess you could call it a like a filtration system, a productivity system, an organizational system mm. for the insights of soul and remembering who I really am. Uh, so I've done so much inner work over the last few years and I've looked to a lot of different 
philosophies and methodologies to really uncover myself. You know, obviously vision quest and book plot can twerk, but it's not the whole story. And I, I don't have the whole story yet. Um, but human design, gene keys, astrology, different types of psychedelic experiences, dream work, working with my dreams, um, peace, mining my own life experience for the gold nuggets, my core wounds, my longings, uh, everything, even like my jealousies of other people and my envy and seeing those as representative, representative signs of what I long for, what I desire and the way that the muse in my life is showing up. So at this point, I have chicken scratch notes. I have PDFs. I have screenshots. I have, it's a, it's a mess of all of this knowing. And it's really hard to have it all in the front mind. You know, it's, you lose it. So mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah. the more you know about yourself, the more there is to forget. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm currently working on creating a, a living, breathing system using our favorite productivity app, Notion. <laughs> That you, you will allow me to uh, capture these lessons, reflect on them, let them evolve and change alongside with me mm. and become a tool to gauge my own creative ideas against a filtration system to know what is it that I actually should work on and how can I stay true to myself and soul in the creation and development process of it. Mm. So I'm still finding ways to actually explain this, but the way I see it and the way that it's helping me is everything from the way I communicate who I am and about myself, the stories I tell, kind of my personal brand. Um, I want it to be rooted in it from a deeper place. So I'm merging my background in branding, marketing, PR, communications with my soulful self-explorations mm -hmm. and hopefully creating something that will be sustainably helpful for both myself and others mm. and uh, yeah i'm in the process of building it for myself right now and i'll be inviting a small cohort of people to join me on this quest sometime this year mm. yeah amazing and it it's it feels so i mean it's it's something that i would like to go through myself but i think so many people that do walk this kind of entrepreneurial path or maybe they're teaching or coaching online it's so easy to fall into the trap of the the frameworks and the courses and it really it can feel like you're kind of selling out and the, you lose mm -hmm. sight of the reason that you were inspired to start the thing in the first place mm -hmm. and I feel like if if one were looking or looking at a, a dashboard or seeing reminders of like the reasons why you were lit up by this thing to begin with and what you're really exploring mm -hmm. I think that like that burnout would be mitigated to some degree down the line or the, or the exit or the crisis or the like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Yeah, I think it could offer more opportunities for self-reflection. So if micro pivots need to come in, you could do that instead of waiting for some massive breakdown and some big pivot later on. Mm -hmm. um, it can help you just create a more holistic life, you know, so you're not compartment. It's, it's essentially a, mm. a tool to help with a help with our natural tendency to compartmentalize aspects of us. Yeah. And those of us on the soul or the spiritual path or the healing path, self-awareness, personal growth, whatever you want to call it, we're learning very quick. We're learning a lot about ourselves, you know, very quickly. Um, and these bumps in consciousness, these levels up in consciousness, doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, 
a new habit in how you actually perform tasks or mm -hmm. how you approach projects. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, cool, I can go have this big experience, connect with my mythopoetic identity and this savage, wild dancing girl of the forest. And then I can easily just go back to my computer and do and, and build a business mm -hmm. the same way I was taught yeah, by yeah. someone three years ago. Right. It's right. like that, that, that doesn't feel truthful yeah. to the path of soul. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, this whole, like, I need help in being on to myself yeah. and my wise mm -hmm. self. When I build this from a place of my higher self and I can like catalog all this information, mm. it'll help me refer back to those, those different aspects that mm. carried wisdom in the moment. Mm. But it's, it's not like I'm connected with my mythopoetic identity Monday through Friday and nine to five. Like it's just, it's not happening <laughs> as much as I can't wait for that to be maybe, my life. Maybe one day. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps, but it feels like a distant goal at the moment. So, yeah, there's there's that. And um, obviously, you've rubbed off on me and have been a positive influence. And so I'll also be launching my own podcast here pretty soon. Mm, that's exciting. So on that note, where is the best place for listeners to find you online, to read your poetry, to pre-subscribe to this podcast mm. and learn more about the, the course? Yes. So everything right now is in construction, but by the time this <laughs> podcast goes live, they can go to soulofkelly.com nice. and that will be the headquarters for all the things you need. You can also visit me on Instagram, Kelly Wild XO, Wild with an E. And they can also just send me a WhatsApp or a message or come to Bali and come hang out. <laughs> yeah, do come to Bali <laughs> if you can. Um, yeah, and those links will be in the show notes as well. So, as you probably guessed, I'd like to close with these words from Wilke. Try to love the questions themselves and live them now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live your way into the answer. And with that in mind, what is the question that you feel like you're living and what question might you like to leave our listeners with? The question that I feel like I'm stepping into is how can I live at the limits of my longings? Which asks me to get clear on what my longings even are. What is it that I truly desire? And how can I go to the extremes of really feeling those? Because I think that's where aliveness is. Mm. And what I would ask listeners, what is soul asking of you right now? And just to offer a bit of embodied practice to get there is sit back in whatever chair you're sitting in and bring your awareness to the back of your body and the back of your eyes. Most of the time we spend our lives leaning forward with our energy forward, more penetrating into the world. We're looking through the front of our eyes. See if you can soften to look through the back of your eyes. And when you do, you might be able to take in more of your surroundings, more of your experience, and you'll access a deeper current you spend enough time there, you'll touch what feels like a deep river inside of you. And that's where your soul answers lie. So see if you can spend some time there. Mm. All right, we will 
wrap the show with that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. <laughs> Let's get some dinner. You. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.